Hey, it's Sean Fennessy, host of The Big Picture. Did you just see the latest tentpole blockbuster? Or a surprisingly fun new movie on a streaming service? Or maybe you just want to bone up on the greatest films ever made? From reviews to rankings, career retrospectives to movie drafts, and everything in between, The Big Picture is here for you. Listen to The Big Picture for free on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viore.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. All right, Sharon Stone is here. She has a book that's out. I read the book. I really enjoyed it. I've enjoyed your whole career. It's fascinating to hear you talk about yourself because the person I've known for the last 40 years from afar was this super confident, um, put out this air, was you know culminating in basic instinct, obviously, but in a couple of parts, other parts too, where you're just like, you know, the most confident, I think, A-list actress who's been on the screen in 40 years. And then in the book, you're in your own head with so many different things. What made you want to write a book and what made you want to let somebody like me into your world? Um, well, I've always been a writer. Uh, I went to um, college on a writing scholarship when I was 15. Um, I, I, I've written a lot of short stories. Some of them have been published. Um I was on a Mark Marin podcast, and then I started getting offers to write a book, write a memoir, and um, I decided to go for it. Uh, then, you know, you start thinking, like, where am I going to begin? I mean, I've had such a big life and traveled all over the world and done so many interesting things. And then you start thinking about yourself, and you think, I thought, do I really do I really fully understand myself if I'm going to write a book? Mm. I thought I should really take a look at me and, and make an honest inventory 
before I start writing about my life, I should really be clear about myself. Um, so I did that. And, um, you know, I've been, I've done a couple of 12 step programs. I, um, and I'm an Eskimo, it's called, who brings, it's when you bring people in from the cold, people who don't want to get sober. Um, I'm not an addict myself, but, um, I have had other issues that, that I've, I've taken to the different kinds of, of programs. So, um, I started doing this and I realized it was kind of like, uh, the four steps. So I, I started looking into Al-Anon and, um, and I sort of followed that, that look at what it means to really do, um, an invested look at yourself to really deal with your own stuff and yes. to, and to allow the other people in their lives to also deal with their own stuff and to take a separate accounting of your own life. And I thought I should do that. I thought that would be a healthful, um, you know, honest thing to do. Yeah. And, uh, so I did. <laughs> the book is super honest. Did you have people in your life who, like, how, how much material had did you have to be talked out of? What Was there like 15% more that people in your life were just like, you can't tell that story. You can't do that one. That's got to come out. No, no. I mean, I had, um, uh, I had lawyers, of course, look at my book. Yeah. Um, and there was very little that had to come out. Okay. Um, maybe honestly half a dozen sentences. Um, but only because I have, uh, a couple confidentiality agreements in my life. So I just didn't want to step on anybody's toes or do anything that would make anyone feel, uh, that I had done anything inappropriate. And so anything that I put in the book, we ran by everybody just to, you know, we sent everything out. We, we were clear um, that everything was already public information. We we were very um, thoughtful about what we what I did. I didn't want to. I don't want to be inappropriate with anyone. Well, I'm a child of the '80s. I just felt like you left a lot of '80s stuff off the table, and I was upset. I wanted you were in so many movies, and I just wanted I wanted like Action Jackson. <laughs> irreconcilable differences. Um, I know you have Seagal stories. Like you were in a movie with Seagal, but like I first, so irreconcilable differences, which there's no record of. It does not exist. It doesn't stream anywhere. It's not on cable. The only it, thing about Seagal is when he told me not to stand in his chi. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know. What does that even mean? What's your chi? I mean, honestly, there really isn't anything else about him. He's not really interesting. You know, he's just kind of like, that's about all there is for him. Like, don't stand in my chi. Like, dude, who wants to, you know? <laughs> Who wants, to, who wants to get that close to you? You know what I mean? Like stand in your own chi and thanks for letting me know. So that's about it. Nobody wants to stand in your chi. Thanks. It's so crazy that so many, everyone who's basically crossed paths with him has some terrible Seagal story. He that's, really did seem like he was the worst for like 10 years there. That's about it. I'm not standing in your chi. Yeah. You know? Wait, so go backwards. So irreconcilable differences. Ryan O'Neill. Shelly Long, 
Drew Barrymore as their child. They have such a bad marriage. She wants to be a man. She files for emancipation. It's a right. divorce movie. I was a child of divorce, so I loved it. But you're in that movie. You play this. I, I haven't seen it in forever. I'm, I'm vaguely remember, but you're like this aspiring actress. Ryan O'Neill's a director. He right. falls for you. And that was when you splashed on the scene. And you were great in that movie. And so for the next, I don't know, six, seven years, I kind of had the Sharon Stone season tickets kind of waiting for your moment. And then it finally happened. And it wasn't until 1991 when it really happened. You and me both. I mean, I had really hoped that someone would notice my comedic uh, chops. But, you know, <laughs> it's really taken a long time for people to think that I'm funny. Yeah, that movie was good. I really actually, I, I think it's weird that it's, there must be some sort of studio, you know, anytime movies disappear, I always assume studios are suing each other or somebody got left the movie and they can't, whatever. But yeah, somebody so you had a bug up their bum. Yeah, something like that. But from that point on, you're, you know, you're in the mix for in the 80s, you're popping up, you're always, Total Recall, I think was probably, the the most efficient use of you in like a gigantic movie, but you were there for nine years. I wasn't surprised when Basic Instinct happened was my point. I was trying. I was really trying, but you know, it's very hard to get through the door. It yeah. Takes a lot of work to get through the door, you know, if you're if you're really not from here. It takes time. Was there a movie that you thought this was gonna be it and then it didn't happen? Was there one that you latched onto or like this will be the one? This is it. After this I'm set. No, no. I really felt that if I got Basic Instinct, that that would be it. So you didn't think until Basic Instinct this was going to happen? No. I mean, I really thought that Total Recall was going to give me a lift because, you know, it was such a cool script and Arnold was such a badass and, and it was a great opportunity to work in a big movie. And, you know, I, I did think that that was going to help me. Um and Arnold was such a great help to me. I mean, he really taught me how to do PR. Yeah. You know, and he was great at that. And, you know, I worked really, really hard. I I put on 20 pounds of muscle. You know, I, you know, I worked on martial arts. I did everything I could do to be really good at it, to really understand what was happening. You know, I really tried to get it, to understand, to be my best. And it really was the movie that broke me because it was the same director that yep. did Basic Instinct. So ultimately, it really was the movie that launched me. I didn't realize until I read the book that you did this whole, you're basically like a, like a baseball player coming back from the offseason with 20 pounds of muscle. You're hitting home runs. Like you had, you what were you doing? Like protein powder? Was it, were you using creatine? Were you using, how far did it go? Were you steroids and HGH? Where, like where, where did you draw the line? No, I used protein power, powder and I went to uh, a gym and I was deadlifting and um, I was, uh, I was, I went to this gym called Eaton's gym, which is like, was like a real muscle head gym. It wasn't a fancy gym at all. It had fans and fish tanks and old, you know, crank bikes, not yeah. even like modern bikes. And, you know, you couldn't talk in there. The guys would throw you out. It was like really an old fashioned setup. And then um, uh, I did karate three days a week. I just really worked hard. I did it the old fashioned way, you know, where you work really hard and make it happen. And I was single arm curling 35 pounds. 
by the time we shot, which was a lot of weight for for me. And um, I was deadlifting and and I was uh, working with uh, the um, Arnold's stunt guy uh, on the karate every single day. And we were in Mexico City and, uh, you know, it was it was the real the real work. Well, you're going, you know, you're going to have a scene where you have to fight somebody who's the most imposing, biggest person in the world, basically, at that point. Exactly. And that's intimidating enough to get your butt to the gym and get you moving. I mean, when you know you're going to have to be filmed fighting with Schwarzenegger, you know, like there's a D-Day and it's coming and it's coming for you and you better get your ass in gear. Well, it's funny. I mean, Hollywood wasn't working this way in the late 80s, but if somebody even saw your performance in that, it was so obvious that if we had movies the way back then, the way we have now, you clearly just would have immediately been in some sort of superhero movie playing. I love superhero movies. Yeah. You would have been the female badass. I don't know, black widow, whatever it would have been. I love action movies. I, I still, I, I mean, my kids and I love action movies and I love martial arts movies. I, I can't watch enough Kung Fu movies. <laughs> you missed your calling. Where were you living in LA as you're doing all these movies, TV shows? Cause you're popping on the TV show type stuff too. Where are you? Are you in Hollywood? Are you just bouncing around? What are you doing? I had, I first came here and I got, of course, because I'm from Pennsylvania, which is, you know, the snow and slush center of the world. Yeah. I came out here. I didn't know anything about LA. So I got an apartment in the marina because mm. I thought, Oh, there's water and, and there's, you know, boats and it's also great. But because I didn't really get the marina at that time, I, I thought this is it, you know, and I didn't realize it was kind of like the Trans Am capital right. of, of L.A. And that you switched your fireplace on with a light switch. I didn't really, <laughs> I didn't really quite at first. I didn't really get it. So it was January and I was on my my little porch in my bathing suit. And everybody was like, what is with her? You know? <laughs> what a weirdo. Like, oh my God, it's 58. I can't believe it. I'm getting a tan. You know, I thought this was really living. Um, so at first I moved to the marina. Um, and then I moved to South Beverly Hills, um, which was really sweet. Very, very sweet. Mm. And because um, I could walk everywhere and I felt very safe there. Um and, and it was really nice for me in those old, older kind of, you know, pre-war kind of lovely buildings. Um, so we, were you in that vortex where it's like, this is going to happen for, it'll be interesting to see what role it is, but you couldn't see it, but other people could, cause I'm just living on the East coast. And there was like a couple of people, there's you, there's Kelly Preston. There's a couple other ones where it was like, why aren't these people bigger stars? I don't get it. Well, I didn't feel like anybody got it. I just kept trying and trying and trying and, you know, hoping and praying and, you know, wishing and wanting. And, you know, it was really hard. And I did, you know, Basic Instinct was my, I think, 13th, 18th movie. Like, I mean, I'd done so much stuff before this happened. Right. And, uh... God, I'd done a ton of TV and, you know, I'd been modeling in New York. And when I came out here, there wasn't modeling, you know, so I was modeling for the May company. I was doing lingerie ads for the newspaper to pay my rent and eat. And, 
you know, there were a lot of weeks when, you know, I was living off a loaf of bread and a dozen eggs. You know, I ate a lot of scrambled egg sandwiches, you know. Yeah, you have in the mid-80s, you got like TJ Hooker, Police Academy 4. But then you have the classic Action Jackson Above the Law back to back, which was, I think, two movies that have still held up as as much as we've turned on Seagal. I think both of those are good ones. But then totally total recall was going, all right, this is definitely gonna happen. I remember liking Year of the Gun, but then all of a sudden 92, basic instinct, and it felt like you were like the biggest star in the world. Because it it had happened two years before with Julie Roberts when she did Pretty Woman, where it was like this person went from, oh, I've seen her in a couple of things too. Wow, that's all right, that's the biggest star in the world. And then it happens for you. The one part you didn't really have in your I mean, you had some of it in your book, but like when did you actually realize that that was happening? Because you're in the middle of it. So it's kind of hard to like levitate above yourself and see like, oh shit, this is, well, I'm now an A plus lister. Basic came out on a Friday and on a Tuesday, I was driving up Sunset Boulevard and I stopped at a stop sign, a stoplight and people climbed all over my car. And oh I my God. I couldn't see out. And the light changed and people started blowing the horn and I didn't know what I was supposed to do. Was I supposed to drive forward with people all over the outside of my car and my windshield? Was I supposed to scream and cry? Was I supposed to try to get out of my, you know, I just didn't know what I was supposed to do. And that's when I realized, oh, this thing has really gone bananas. Um, And that's sort of when I started recognizing that, oh, this is really gone banana. Fame was different back then because I think we had less stuff, you know? Now it's like everyone's spread in a million different directions. Back then it was like movies, TV, music. If you hit, it hit in this way that was, you know, 30, 40 million people it felt like. Cell phones didn't take pictures. Yep. So... There were just paparazzi and people chasing you down the street. And that's it. Trying to get you in like Us Weekly or People Magazine or one of those spots. Um, did you know as you were making the movie that it was going to be as big as it did, as it, as it was? Because I still feel like it's a classic. Um, I, I did. I really did. I, I auditioned for it for eight months. Right. Um, <laughs> So I was pretty clear <laughs> that they weren't messing around. We did a, we did a rewatchables on it. We have a podcast called the rewatchables where we rewatch old movies. We do like break it down, do all these things, little research on it, all that stuff. And one of the, one of the big points I was making was like, it's one of those movies slash performances. It's hard to even imagine other people in it. You know, like I felt like Body Heat with Kathleen Turner was like this too, right? Where Oh, yeah, yeah. You got, and by the way, you two could have flipped those movies at the points of your career and probably, you know, Time Machine, you could have gone back in 91 and been Body Heat 1982 and right. vice versa. But it's just so hard to think of that many performances where it's like, I can't imagine anyone else in that. Out of the modern actresses, if you had to pick somebody, who would you pick? Out of the out of the new breed, or is there nobody that you could see? Because I my go to for this was always Scarlett Scarlett Johansson for years, but now I don't know if there's like a 
slightly I think younger. Kate, Kate Winslet could have played this part. Hundred percent. One of the greatest actresses alive. Yeah. Um, I think I don't. I, I'm always hard to say her name. Sorcy. Oh, Sorcy Ronan. Yeah. I think she's a, just a genius, uh, and could could probably do that. Um, but there's, um, because it's a weird part. You have to have that sense of of sort of, yeah, I think both of them could probably pull it off. Yeah, it's tough because I have to like you. I have to be afraid of you. I have to be attracted to you. And you have, to, and there has to be that, the actress has to have that understanding of the psychological element. There has to, they have to have a certain kind of, of um, the, the French call it sang-froid. Mm. It's called blooded, but there's this warmth to it. There's a weird warmth to it. Yeah. Yeah. I Also, you have Douglas, who's at like the peak of his powers at that point. Like he's on right. this incredible right. six-year run of every yeah. movie he's in is just a monster. Yeah. Well, he is just a monster performer. I mean, he is still killing it in, in, the, in the series he's doing right now. The Kaminsky method. I mean, he knows exactly what is right for him at each point in his life. But you, he initially, he didn't want you because well, they wanted somebody bigger. I, I don't think it was specific to me. I never took yeah. it personally. I just felt like he was, you know, literally putting his ass on the line. And, you know, that's a big, big move for a guy who's taking this kind of very new risk in cinema. Yeah. I, uh, the real estate is unbelievable in that movie too. It's an underrated, if you're talking about the great real estate movies of all time, like some of the, the, the house that she lives in, mm-hmm. the apartment that he has, like, it's like j- just very great Bay Area, old school, mm-hmm. pre-SoCon Valley stuff. So when you, when, I mean, you did this before the book, but you wrote about it in the book, but you talked about how the whole no underwear thing, you didn't, you didn't really know that's how it was going to play out. And it seemed like people were shocked to hear that because that had been this iconic moment of the movie, right? Where it was like, not only in the movie itself, but in the selling of the movie, because this was the pre-internet era where you kind of heard rumors, oh, this this is a piece of it. I remember The Crying Game was another one like that, where it's like, there's this secret, there's this reveal. Um, where you would guy, hear this buzz about that, right? And that guy in The Crying Game was amazing. Right. Amazing. Uh, and I was shocked that we haven't ever seen him in anything else. Jay Davidson. Didn't he? He got nominated for an Oscar too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but with with yours, you revealed like, yeah, I actually didn't know. Why did it take you so long to set the truth about how that played out? I don't think that it took me so long. It's just that this was the last and final time I was going to talk about it. Hmm. That's it. That's it. Well, you talked about it. I'm done. You laid it out. I got it. <laughs> I got it out of my system. Well, so how are we supposed to feel about the movie now? If you didn't, if you didn't uh, totally appreciate how that scene went down, I guess, I guess that's the complicated part of this. Because <laughs> <laughs> I still think it's a classic movie, but now I feel bad because there's that moment that you weren't it's happy complicated. about. Life is complicated, Bill. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, You're just going to have to do you and I'm going to do me. (laughs) (laughs) 
Tell me you didn't talk about Sliver in the book. That was after you have the giant movie. Well, after you have the giant movie, there's always that next movie somebody can make when basically whatever they release, people are going to go see. Right. And so that was that. I actually think that movie would have been a better TV show. Oh, I, completely. It would have been a much better. It's like a good, a good Netflix show, right? I, I think I would have watched exactly. season one of Sliver. Oh, so exactly. A good Netflix show. It's so exactly <laughs> a good Netflix show. And it could have been shot a little bit better to be that, you know, it could have been, it could have moved in on different things. It could have been, it just, to me, it lacked a little bit of that kind of finesse, that kind of, uh, shooting it in the technological way that it was it, yeah. it wasn't really shot in um in that demonstrative way that showed the technology of what they were trying to say i yeah, just if you if you're doing as a tv show each episode would be about somebody's apartment right and you would go into that apartment and yeah, you would be like voyeurs or, or two or three apartments that had some kind of story and intrigue among themselves, you know, all the different things that people did. Yeah, it's a great idea for a TV series. You were, were after Basic Instinct came out, were you single? Uh, no. Because you told a story about how you met, you were on one of the, I think it was, maybe it wasn't the Sliver set, it was one of those where you met the person you ended up with for the next couple of years, like the assistant director. Yes. Who you asked him out. Were yes. people afraid to ask you out after Basic Instinct? Um, I don't know about that, but we were in, in a position where it wouldn't have been appropriate, I don't think, for him to ask me out because of the, you know, the, there's a system, there's this awful class system. And, right. you know, it probably wouldn't have been okay for him to hit on me. But I'm just saying in general, like when you ran into people, Oh, weird. did you feel like there was a fear of almost like that movie? That character was so powerful that people were kind of like, yes, I don't I, even know how to talk to her. Well, yeah. And the people that did had some weird ideas about how to talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they thought you were the character. I think that people for a long time thought I was the character. I think that I carried a lot of baggage because of that part. I think that people for a long time thought that I was like, and who, who? Who in God's green earth is like that character? I mean, let's get real. This exists in somebody's imagination. And I hope to God, nobody is actually like that character. An ice pick novelist slash murderous. Yeah. 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 Um, let's, let's hope that's not who you run into on your daily basis. Well, you, we, it wasn't really until casino when I felt like you shed that where people realized you were actually an actress. No, <laughs> I, I know. It's weird to say it that way, but it's it's just true. No, it really was. It was like, oh my God, Sharon Stone. Wow. Like everybody was so surprised by it that no. you were playing like this real character. I know. They just must have accidentally picked up like a ice pick wielding sociopath off the street. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. 
When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership, visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it, you can work out in it, you can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever, and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viore.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. You had something in the book about De Niro. You were talking about all the nuances with how he gets involved Ugh. with a character and just like what a psycho he is about every little tiny detail. That's why he's such a great actor. What'd you pick up from him? That he's the most breathtakingly brilliant actor. And it's like watching, I don't know, Michelangelo Payne. I mean, he's just I mean, I, I'm completely infatuated with him. I mean, I just think he's absolutely hung the moon. I think that watching him act is, I don't know, like watching Barishnikov dance. I mean, they're just people who, and I have to say, <laughs> speaking of Barishnikov, just going completely off topic, um, when I got knighted in France, um, Barishnikov, uh, picked me up at one point and set me up on the bar in this uh, restaurant that had a very high bar. And being picked up by Barishnikov was akin to acting with Bob. Wow. That moment where it's not like any other thing. It's just, it's just so different that it's almost hard to put into words. It's just a skill set and, and a thing that's, so different. It's just so different. I mean, acting with Bob is so different. It's so beautiful. It's so, it's so, it just makes you want to be so much better and so much. There's no time to be frantic about how's it going to go or am I okay or do I have it? You just want to throw yourself at being the very best you ever could be. It's like when Barishnikov picked me up, I'm like, I am light as a feather. <laughs> I, I am, I am ballet. I am moving in this air. It's like, 
there's just something that just the mere action of it makes you better. The, the mere actually just being near him makes you better. He made me much better than I ever could imagine that I would be. But you it, knew you could hang with him though. I decided that yes, I could. Yes, I could. Yes, I would. And yes, I was going to. Yeah. Because you can't, it's almost like sports. If you don't feel like you can match the other person, you're going to fail. I believe, I mean, I went to um, Monaco at one point um, for the Princess Grace Foundation. And we were doing like a whole, like a week of fundraising and all this stuff with a bunch of cool celebrities. And one of the things we were going to do one day was a baseball game. And Steve Garvey was there. And the night before, we were all at a cocktail party. And I'm like, Steve, I want to go down to the baseball field right now. And I want you to teach me how to hit a baseball. And he's like, right now? (laughs) I'm like, tell me that if you were in the room with Brando right now, you wouldn't be telling him, I want you to tell me something about acting. Yeah. I want to go down to the baseball field right now. And I want you to teach me how to hit a ball. So tomorrow I'm amazing. And he's like, let's go. And we went down to the field and we're, we're, we're working out. We're, we're just get warming up. We're hitting some balls. And he taught me how to hit a ball. And we hit a few balls. And before it was over, I hit a ball right out of the park. Really? And yes, because he really talked to me. And I really understood exactly what he was saying. And he taught me about my breathing. He taught me exactly how to hold the bat. And then the last thing he said is, I know this is going to sound stupid, but be the ball. And I was like, that doesn't sound stupid to me at all. I mean, I'm, I'm an actor. I understand exactly what you mean. And when he said, be the ball, man, I hit that ball and the sound of that ball hitting that bat was the most extraordinary crack. I hit that ball and it went right out of the park. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this without you standing next to me, but I really do get it. And since then, I have loved nothing more than going to the batting cages. What? I get in there and I start, you know, I, I, I can't hit the softballs anymore because like hitting yeah. a, a wet bag of sand, I can't take it. But I get in there and I start at like 40 miles an hour and I work my way up 50, 60, 70. And I love hitting a baseball because he really got in there with me and explained it to me in a way that made sense to me. Yeah. And it is. It's like sports. And to me, when I was prepping for Basic Instinct, you know, Magic was still playing basketball. And I, I was an obsessive Magic Johnson, still am, fan. And his no-look pass was everything to me. Just understanding what that nature of that pass was, how it worked, how his team members worked with him, what he was actually doing. And so I based my whole performance in Basic Instinct on the no-look pass. And so all the time when we were just reading the script around the table, all the time when I was hanging out with Michael, I was just studying him and studying him and studying him because I was like, I'm going to do the no-look pass with Michael. Everything I'm going to do with him is going to be the no-look pass because I am like a stalker on him. And even when we were did the scene where I was in the... uh 
I had a um, lie detector thing on. Yeah. I was actually on that lie detector machine, which was a real thing. And he was in a separate room on the same stage, but they were watching me live on the lie detector test. But it didn't matter because I had studied him so hard by then that I knew exactly where he was in the other room and I knew exactly what he was doing. So I could do the lie detector test and watch him blind from the other room because I had worked so hard on my no look pass to Michael mm. that I literally could do the lie detector test and watch him simultaneously. And it was all by studying magic on the floor. Did, did it freak him out? No. He loved no. it? He, I don't even know if he loved it because I was just in it. Yeah. I was in it to do it. And I'm sure he appreciated it because he was Definitely. producing it, you know, yeah. <laughs> and he wanted it to work. Um, with Casino, you, the Scorsese, De Niro, you're entering this and those guys had made at least five movies together at that point. I can't remember the exact number, but they had this whole shorthand. Um, it's one of the great partnerships of all time. They have Pesci in there too, who has done a few things with him. And then you're kind of crashing well, the party as, yeah, well, you, you, you kind of have to be brought into that loop. But what was that Scorsese De Niro thing like? I've always been fascinated because all the way even leading to the Irishman recently, those guys well, have I, such an amazing history together. I had to elbow my way in, you know, at first they would set up scenes sort of without me. And then I was like, you know, I would just followed Marty around constantly, like Marty, 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 hey, Marty, Marty. And finally, he was like, you're a ter like a terrier on my pant leg. What do you want? What do you want? And then I was like, you know what I want? I want you to come into my trailer in the morning, like you go see Bob and Joey. I want you to talk to me about the scenes. I want you to tell me what you want. I want you to push me till I break. And he was like, that's what you want? I'm like, yeah, that's what I want. That's what I want, Marty. And he's like, all right, you got it. And that's what started to happen. But it really took me, you know, shoving my nose at him constantly to get him to realize that I wanted to be in it and that I had the guts to be, throw myself at it as hardcore as, as they did. And so my part went from five weeks to five months. It's a really good movie. It's it's uh, interesting in the relationship of the whole Scorsese De Niro catalog. It's such like a fun thing that they did that then five years after Goodfellas, and then you have the Irishman circling back all the way at the end. It's they it's are the greatest team uh, that I've had the luxury of working with. You know, I don't get cast a lot in these type of things. Um, I wish I did, but. For me, it was the greatest thing that ever happened. I just couldn't, I couldn't believe my good fortune. I felt really blessed. I adore those guys. Um, I felt really lucky. I, it was amazing. It was a wonderful experience for me. You also, you did, you did a movie with Sly Stallone, The Specialist. Right. So you, you did Schwarzenegger, Stallone, and Steven Seagal. You had all three. And Carl Weathers, I guess, too. But Carl great. Carl was great. And, um, yeah. And Sly, we, we had an amazing time. Um, you know, he's, 
he is certainly as tough as they come. You know, when we did our, we did our own, all of our own stunts. Yeah. Everything. I mean, we really blew up that building. Um, and we had 12 cameras around the building and we did all of the stuff when the building was blowing and we did everything running through the fire of that building. And, and Sly was like, will you do this? Will you do this with me? And I said, I, I have one caveat. I have to be barefoot because I have to be able to feel the floor. I have to mm. be able to feel where the blows and the fire and everything are coming. I don't want to be unsteady on my feet. And I want to be able to feel where the fire and the explosives are coming from. And he's like, okay, that makes sense. I, I get the rationale on that. No problem. And he's like, just uh, hold my hand and I'm going to pull you through it. And I was like, okay, I, let's go. If you're going to do it, I'm going to do it. And they set the cameras and we ran through that explosives and that entire building blowing. And it was uh, thrilling. And I, I like that movie. Yeah, I like it too. And we had a great time making it. And we had the best cameraman and we had the best producer. Um, our director pretty much stayed in his trailer. Um, I don't think he could handle, handle it. Yeah. Um, so lucky for us, we had the greatest cameraman who had shot so many astonishing movies. And um, Jerry, God, our producer. God rest his amazing soul, Jerry Weintraub. Oh, the um, legend. The ledge. We called him Uncle Jerry. Um, and it was amazing to work with Jerry. Uh, you know, my heart is even breaking saying his name and talking about him because the loss of him is the greatest tragedy. Uh, Jerry, Jerry's the kind of guy that the day my dad died, he called me. Hmm and said, honey, anything, anything, can I help you in any way? I mean, he's, there aren't very many, and we're never, in fact, I can't think of a single other person in this town that was as loving and good as Jerry. I liked his book, too. Um, Stallone versus Arnold. This was, this was the defining, this was the defining argument. If you're talking about sports like magic versus bird, Stallone versus Arnold was going there for 12 years. So they're, I'm making you pick. They're very different types of guys. Um, Arnold is super level-headed, uh, super, um, super feet on the ground. And even when, I mean, I really appreciated, you know, the way that he came back this year and made that really beautiful, eloquent speech and talk about where he came from and how he grew up and really explained himself so beautifully. I mean, I, I really respected that. He's a person that goes away, thinks, talks when he has something to say. He's a very level-headed person. Um, uh, Sly is an extraordinary uh, businessman. And he runs his franchise very intelligently. 
um, I don't think people really, I think they shortchange Sly. And I think that shortchanging hurts his feelings. Um, because he really has brought billions of dollars to this industry. Mm. And um, I don't think people realize, like recognize him for that. I don't think that they stop. I think it was really good when he finally got nominated for an Oscar because I think that a little validation would go a long way with Sly. Yeah, even a movie like First Blood, which turned into the Rambo series, that movie's really good. And he's really good in it. It's a really smart movie about Vietnam War veterans, but nobody, it eventually became this whole patriotic superhero thing. But the first movie, he doesn't get credit for it at all. Right. And I think that he's been kind of shortchanged in the credit department. Mm. And I think that's been a little bit rough for him because, I mean, he has given literally billions of dollars uh, to this industry. And I think a little bit of like, uh, you know, some kind of like thank you from the industry might be, might be nice. Mm. You bought Leo stock really early. Like literally you bought stock. You gave up some of your salary to cast him in one of your movies. But we're, so obviously you weren't surprised that he became a star, but when, as Titanic's happening, what were you watching? What were you thinking? I really believe in Leo. I think he's not just um, a great actor, but he is super intelligent. Leo, um, as a kid, I mean, Leo, we took him for his birthday go-kart riding. I mean, you know, this is how long I've known Leo, you know? Yeah. Um, Leo is extraordinarily intelligent. Like, Wow, you know, and it was so clear that he had this very just kind of classy demeanor because of his incredible intelligence and those kind of looks that he has that he was going to be able to make this kind of career that had a had a was he was very leading man, very and he had this kind of um innate understanding of bringing his tenderness and vulnerability to screen. He's just, you know, he just really had it, you know? And Russell, I always felt, was the Richard Burton of his generation. He had that kind of um, hyper-masculinity and that he would play, you know, big heroes. I was not surprised at all when he started playing, you know, like ship captains and, you know, like that, because he's very, he's got that, you know, and I I could see that right off the bat. When I first saw him, I saw him in a movie called Romper Stomper, where he played a skinhead. And how can you, he just played a skinhead. What does that mean? And it's like, do you have any idea what it takes to pull off a part like that? And and that is a really hard part to play, like really hard. Yeah. <laughs> just come off like a, like a, like a, just a, you know, like flat. Um, you know, he was complex and. Um, well, it seems like, it seems like you have such good eye for talent. You were ahead of your time. If you, if it had been like everything happened for you 20 years later, you immediately have a production company and you're, you're, handpicking people, making all the, using your power. It just really wasn't like that in the, 
sometimes early nineties studios would bring me into casting meetings to say like, who do you think we should cast? Um, but they also, there were so many rigid boundaries that, um, you know, they couldn't cast anybody that was not completely straight. <laughs> right. And they couldn't cast anybody who was like this or wasn't that or, you know, their heritage or this or that. I mean, it was just so absurd. Their casting ideas. I just could, it wasn't like I couldn't really think inside their box very well. Um, but yes, I think you're right. And I wanted to direct when I was, you know, hitting my success stride and they thought I was <laughs> really ridiculous and told me so. Um, but yes, I would have been, had a production company, I would have been directing and I would have picked a lot of different talent than would have was being picked for sure. Yeah, even, even if it's like 15 years later, yeah. you immediately have a production company. You're doing whatever you want. You're teaming with whatever directors. You're doing documentaries, all that stuff. It was just- I did produce a bunch of documentaries. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Tiny bit. But early. I can't get them on the air. What was your favorite one? Mm. Um, well, I produced a short one, um, a 15 minute one about one of the youngest living Holocaust survivors. And it's one, oh my God, so many documentary film festivals. Um, that is kind of crazy. Um, and I just wanted to go on the air during like national Holocaust month. But it's just very hard to get anybody to do anything when you're a woman, you know, look mm. at your product. I mean, this year, finally, people are starting to allow women to work. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I have really good ones. I have like, you know, a dozen. I have really, I have ones where we ask uh, women from every walk of life all over the world, the same 20 questions. Women that work in bordellos, women that are CEOs. We've asked women from every possible wow. avenue of life the same 20 questions, and it's super interesting. You know, we, I, just all kinds of great ones. I don't want to step on some of the stuff you wrote about your health issues in the book, because that's a big part of it, but um, what, how are you doing these days? I'm awesome. Yeah? Yeah. Great. Because you had, you had obviously a, a, a brain tumor, but then you had some after effects from that. But now, because at one point you were having trouble speaking, but now you seem 100% well, fine it, now. It was not a brain tumor. It was, I, you have two arteries. Yeah, in the, yeah back the brain. Art, I'm sorry. Your neck. Right. And these two arteries control basically your ability to walk and talk and everything. Yeah, yeah. One of mine ruptured. And I had a nine-day brain hemorrhage and a stroke. Um, I'm great. Uh, I'm doing great. I all systems functioning, <laughs> as far as I can tell. Of course, you never know. Um, I think I'm doing good. I think I'm on top of it. And they had no idea why that ruptured? Was there any sort of reason? It's just totally random? You know, it's really interesting. When I went to the hospital, nobody asked me. And nobody gave me a full exam. Um, it's really funny how women get treated, you know, um, part of the reason I, I hemorrhaged so long is because I didn't get a full exam. And when they gave me my first exam, um, 
all the blood had pooled on one side of my head, but that was because I had had breast tumors removed and I was still healing and bandaged from that and laying on one side. And because they didn't know that, they didn't know why the blood was on one side of my head. Mm. So it took them, you know, another week to figure out that maybe they should give me another angiogram. And before they sent me home, they just wanted to send me home. They thought I was faking it. Um, because most people fake brain hemorrhages, I guess. Right. So uh, they gave me another angiogram and realized what was happening. And I was nearly dead by that time. And uh, so I had a seven-hour brain surgery. Uh, well, you de- that's a big part of the early part of the book. I didn't know a lot of that stuff. And it was pretty harrowing. You just, <laughs> I was reading it. I'm like, Jesus. Um, especially when you're getting misdiagnosed by doctors and some of the stuff that was going on with you, but you seem great now. Congrats on the book. Um, what's, what's the greatest part left for you to play that you haven't played yet? Um, the one that is the greatest part I haven't played yet. <laughs> you still know what it is yet. <laughs> <laughs> can't you be on like, can't you do like a season on billions or something where you're just like this, this kick-ass dominatrix uh, or something? No, that like a kick-ass billionaire who's just, Playing chess with everybody. I, I don't know. There's got to be something. You never made like a, sad, a super sad Steel Magnolias type movie, did you? Um, I have made some sad movies. I made a, a really great movie, a uh, children's movie called Freak the Mighty, um, about a mom who had a kid who had a physical disorder who becomes good friends with another boy at school. It was made, Rob Reiner's daughter wrote this amazing mm. uh, children's book that won a lot of awards. And I produced this kid's movie, which was great with Gina Rollins and Harry Dean Stanton and really nice. Um, Somebody's got to write you one where it's like, you're the mom, somebody's getting married and it's a wedding weekend, but then all hell breaks loose and it gets super sad at one point. It's like something where you're like, in control and there's a lot of people that you can kind of play with. Okay. That's my vote. That's my vote for the screenwriters out there. Okay. That that's it. That would be my premise. That's all I have. It's just the premise. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm a I'm a huge fan though. It's uh it's it's really awesome to have you on. I really uh I really have enjoyed a lot of the movies you've made and I really respect just kind of the the presence you've had in a really weird place, Hollywood, where a lot of people don't speak up. A lot of people aren't really completely 100% honest about stuff. And I, I just I just always appreciated how you navigated it. People in Hollywood aren't honest? No. <laughs> uh, but it's great to meet you. Good luck with everything and uh, good luck with the book. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the time. 